Hey, .NET Rocks fans. Richard and I are going to be at the Dev Intersection Conference at the Marriott Grand Lakes in Orlando, Florida, April 13th through 16th. Come see your favorite speakers, Scott Guthrie, Scott Hanselman, John Papa, Billy Hollis, Brian Noyes, Dan Wallin, Todd Anglin, Tim Huckabee, Michelle Bustamante, Miguel Castro, Duval Lowy, Kathleen Dollard, and many more. Go to devintersection.com to register now. You'll save 200 bucks if you register on or before February 24th, $100 if you register between February 25th and March 31st, and you can save an additional 50 bucks by specifying .NET Rocks is how you heard about the conference. More details at devintersection.com. We'll see you in April. .NET Rocks episode 961 with guest Michael Learned. Recorded live Tuesday, March 11th, 2014. This episode is brought to you by Telerik, offering the best in developer tools and support. Online at telerik.com. And by Franklin's.net, makers of Gesture Pack, a powerful gesture recording and recognition system for Microsoft Connect for Windows developers. Details at gesturepak.com. And now, here are Carl and Richard. Thank you very much. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. Carl and Richard, uh, here we are again. Here we are. One more time. <laughs> not the, and not the last. That's the 961st sure. time, to be exact. Something like that. Well, I, I'm the new guy. I only came in at show 100. Well, so you're 861st. A mere. Mere, yeah. Oh, my God. Where's the time gone? Hey, let's just get started with Better Know Framework. Awesome. All right, what do you got? I just found something so cool. I can't believe that I haven't used it before. It's not .NET, but it's certainly usable from any .NET app. And it is FFmpeg. SFmpeg? Frank Frank Mpeg. Okay. Yep. And uh, so what it is, is it's a free library. It's not even a library. It's an executable that's been ported uh, into a million platforms. It works on a bunch of different platforms. It's free. And it does transcoding and encoding and decoding of video using a bazillion different codecs. And it's all command line. And there's even tools that wrap it for .NET, although I didn't have much uh, use for those. They didn't seem to work all that well. Huh. I just basically created a process and uh, shelled out to FFmpeg, passing the uh, parameters and hiding the window, waiting for it to come back. And it worked just great. So uh, the, the reason I needed this, if you remember, I've, I've been doing some work with the Connect. The Connect version 2, the current SDK, or the one that I have been using, is uh, 64-bit only. And so that was just a just because that's the current restriction. And I don't know why. I don't know if the next one's going to be both any CPU or whatever. But you have to have to compile as x64. So that ruled out a whole bunch of video capture options for me. But I did find a library called um, Sharp AVI that created a video from the frames that I got. Uh, and it didn't get in the way. It didn't slow things down. The only problem was the video was uncompressed, of course, and it was also flipped. Right. So then I needed a way after that was written to compress it and flip it over. FFmpeg turned out to be the only thing that did it. 
reliably. And it does it great and quickly. And I get to pick my codec and it turns out WMV was a great codec. And just uh, one little command line, boom. I went from a huge compressed AVI to a completely flipped, perfect-looking WMV, a fraction of the size, and it just works, man. FFmpeg.org. Nice. So there you go. If you're doing anything with video and you want to do any kind of transcoding or encoding or decoding, it'll even uh, I believe it'll even encode from a live video source. I haven't tried that, though. Clearly, the tools are improving. Yeah. Yeah, this is cool. It is very cool. There you go. Know it, learn it, love it. Richard, who's talking to us today? Grabbed a comment off of show 956, and that's the one we did with David Chappell at uh, Mountain View, California, when we were at the uh, Computer History Museum, if mm-hmm. you recall. I sure do. And this comment comes from Brendan Parker, who says, I love the conversation around continuous delivery and deployment. I've been part of an Agile team for a while now and have experienced both kinds of products. Those products that are installed on-premise and have their own package and version installer, and those that are cloud-based where we can control the deployment and installation. The benefits of the cloud-based application from a continuous delivery perspective seems to drastically outweigh those of an on-premise solution. Richard's point about lowering the bars on testing because of the ability to recover more quickly are completely accurate, although admittedly, it sounds dangerous. Take, for example, the ability to introduce changes gradually so they don't necessarily affect all of your customers, i.e. in load balance setups, Mm. and then monitor them to make sure you don't just introduce something bad. Also, the ability to have all the customers on the same version is invaluable. Mm. There is one code base to troubleshoot against. Another benefit is the ability for the bug fix to fix all customers, not having to go track down all the customers that the bug fix might impact, and the list of benefits go on. Cloud-based solutions combined with agile methodologies combined with continuous delivery and deployment is pretty powerful stuff. Yes, sir. And I'm with you, Brendan. You know, that, that's the SaaS model, really, when we get the cloud involved in the deployment piece as well. And it certainly is luxurious that you can get everybody updated at once. But at the same time, uh, I do think solving the on-prem problem is pretty powerful, and we got to get better at it. And uh, this is the DevOps world. We're just living in it. <laughs> <laughs> hey brendan thanks so much for your comment a dotnet rocks mug is on its way to you and if you'd like a dotnet rocks mug just write a comment on the website at dotnet rocks.com or any of our mobile apps we've got them for windows phone 7 and 8 windows 8 ios and android and those apps were built by diatom enterprises who'd love to build you an app just go to diatomenterprises.com and that brings us to our guest michael learned is a senior premier field engineer developer with microsoft MSDN magazine author and works as a Visual Studio ALM Ranger project lead. Michael focuses on helping some of Microsoft's largest customers with .NET development and application lifecycle management. He can be reached at twitter.com slash mlhoop. Welcome back, Michael. Hey, guys. How are you? Doing great. Doing great. So, what have you been up to these days? Well, as... As I heard Richard talking about, I mean, DevOps seems to be the thing. So I'm just working with Microsoft uh, Enterprise customers, and we're focusing a lot on continuous delivery, and we're focusing on, you know, various DevOps strategies, this kind of thing. And, you know, my my core job really revolves, my whole life really revolves around Team Foundation Server. So we've got some exciting things happening there as well. You focus on the the technology of DevOps, the psychology of DevOps, all of the above. <laughs> the 
there is a little bit of everything with, with that, isn't it? So, yeah, a little bit of all of the above. Um, now, typically, you know, I'm a tools guy, so I'm I'm showing customers, um, you know, how to enable various tools that can support their DevOps movement, if you will. So. Mm. Things like uh, release management, you know, aka end release, things like that are very exciting to customers. And, and by the time I'm there, uh, typically they're you know they're buying you know everybody's buying into the DevOps mindset already. But there certainly is some psychology to it, and uh, you know not everybody's on board, right? So um, I'm I'm promoting it uh, the mindset as much as I am the tooling, I guess. So in release seems to be the 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 thing these days. So let's start with the problem. What what is the problem with with TFS and deployment that uh, in release sort of solves? Right, right. Yeah. So so TFS, uh, you know, which which goes back to you know the team system days of two thousand five. You know, really since then has always had uh, like build automation capabilities. Right. I mean, one of the things. You know, it did lots of stuff, but one of the things it's always done is build. And through the years, we've done more and more cool things with build. But that's kind of where the story stopped out of the box, you know, if you will. So we built these components, and then releasing them was kind of some separate process. And I remember even one of my friends a few years ago saying, Did, you know, Microsoft, don't you guys get it that build and release kind of go hand in hand? We're, we're creating these outputs. We want to do something with them. And you don't give us a solution for that. So, th- so what you found was, and I've got actually a very large customer in this boat right now. Is uh, you'll find inside of an organization of any size that's using TFS. You know, obviously they're doing deployments, but they'll have all kinds of different ways they do them. And and a few of those things that are you know, were semi popular. There was a tool called TFS Deployer on Codeplex that you could do to to wire into the uh, the build qualities and execute PowerShell scripts. And they, you try to automate this stuff by customizing the build process many times. And there's lots of, lots of nastiness with doing that. So the problem was no out-of-the-box solution. So the solution is, you know, our purchase, our acquisition of uh, in-release last June. And what does that do? So that tool, uh, you know, so we were kind of faced with, you know, either, you know, we know we have to address this. I mean, we got, you know, with the wor- way of the world and, you know, moving to obviously deploy all the time, not having any deploy story really at all out of the box was kind of ugly. So um, we could either build something or we could acquire something. So we acquire and release. We now, by the way, all the branding now is really release management. Or um, so the the name in release will slow, you know, kind of go into the sunset eventually. But what it does is it provides the tooling capability for you to build release pipelines, and you can decouple maybe some of the ugly stuff you were doing. For example, let's say you had like custom build scripts that were deploying to database servers, deploying to web servers, this kind of thing, you can get out of that business with your build system, and then you can turn over that, that lifting or that release work to the in-release tooling. And, and that gives you a lot of capabilities that were very hard or you couldn't achieve it all via the build process. Um, you know, one of the things, very common thing that, you know, in-release does that's really cool is I can have, like, my project manager or, you know, some non-developer type, for example, jump into a web browser Click a button and then move a move the bits onto another environment. You know we're never running through another build process for that. We're getting visibility. There's all kind of cool stuff that Enrelease does. So bottom line is we're moving away from um, you know some some kind of a patchwork solution to do deployment to having Enrelease manage it, which is you know giving us the first class experience there and kind of and then more and more integration with TFS moving forward. Obviously now that we own the product. Yeah, this all went down only last year, right? 2013. That's correct. So I believe June of last year. Um, so we were getting near the end of our, you know, we were about to ship RTM anyway. Right. And uh, yeah, yeah. So we, we made the acquisition then. 
Um, and so what you see really is, you know, in-release was already working, so you could, didn't have to wait. You might have been doing this a year ago. Yeah, they were always integrated with Studio and TFS. Yeah, they have some, you know, they're, they're already working with the product. Now, what you see because of that, it was a little bit of a, frankly, uh, you know, very similar experience. So you don't see a, a ton of integration today. It's a separate install, for example, than TFS. Right. Um, and, and there's integration points we can talk about, but the idea there is you, you expect it to be cooked more and more into the product. And if you've noticed and been watching our, the product for a while now, uh, you probably like the web portal a lot, for example. There's a lot of cool stuff that's been moved up to that website, nice HTML5 site. And you expect things like that you know, um, to happen in the future, more and more integration with things like work items. And just as, uh, you know, no, I'm not giving you any official news to come, but things like that are just natural, um, that kind of integration stuff that's not there today. You'll see that cooked in more and more now that we own the product and we're iterating on it. So I'm I'm really familiar with the build processes and things like that in a build pipeline. And you mentioned one thing that, that it does in a release pipeline, but take us through some of the other things that would be in a release pipeline. Right, right. So, you know, the first thing you want when you build a release pipeline is, you know, you're kind of defining, you know, where the bits are going to go. And one of the common things customers do is they have multiple environments, obviously, that they release to in that pipeline. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm going to go to a dev, a QA, a staging, a prod. And, you know, one of the things the tool does, it allows you to define workflows um, on those various stages. What I mean by that is, you know, my developers may have access to the dev and test environments, and we're going to allow them to do a lot of automation there and, and, and you know, automate the, the deployment of those bits there. And once it hits, let's say, QA, I might have a different group of people, you know, driven by either an Active Directory group or Team Foundation Server Security group, mm. pick up and start approving workflows and that, you know, to, to move the deployment on. And we, and we definitely get into some best practices, um, you know, whereas it was very difficult before. So we're doing things like, for example, build once and we're going to deploy everywhere um, so that we're not deploying, you know, the bits that I approve, for example, in dev and test are the binaries that got moved to prod at the end of the day. And it's not some, you know, gone through some other complete different build process or something hokey like that. Sure. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Other things that are on that pipeline, security is a big one because you can really define that and lay that out in the tool. Uh, and just the centralization of the configuration data. You know, one of the things about it, although we do want to typically, you know, move the same binaries upstream, if you will, uh, down that down that pipeline, uh, the configuration data is often different between the, the environments. You know, classic examples are like web config files, things like that. Right. So we'll, we'll handle that very well within release. We'll centralize that data. And there's been, seems to me like, um, you know, I, I've come from a, a developer background that we've been trying to solve the problem of web config since it, you know, since there was web config on right. how many do I maintain? How do I override the files? Should I transform it? And, and we're shooting, uh, you know, we're not shooting silver bullets here, but there's definitely some good practices emerging with tokenization of files and things like that. So it, 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 the bottom line is the, the pipeline itself is treated like a first class thing, whereas you know, prior to end release, or if you're using something else, you're probably emulating some of this stuff with build processes and, and other tools. Yeah, I imagine. And yeah, you did say, I mean, you got that right when you said that we had been doing this before with lots of manual processes and, you know, sneaker net, really, you know, right. just moving things around. And uh, once it once it hit the build server, you know, what do we do now? a patchwork of a myriad of, of different uh, tools and, and things. Yep. Nice to have it all under one, under one roof. One of the things that, that's, that's really interesting that 
you know, if I, I remember deploying software where we would deploy it a certain way. We'd deploy it lots of times to dev and test, you know, over and over again. And we had nice little, even if it was automation out of Visual Studio, you know, yeah. which you shouldn't be doing. But we at least practiced it a lot. But then when we went ready to go to prod, we're like, okay, well, here, here's the bits. And then there's some other completely different set of people, processes, and tools being used, um, which obviously, you know, not the best thing. So one, mm-hmm. one of the other mantras here is uh, we're going to deploy the same way to prod as we do everywhere else. Mm-hmm. And we're going to practice that deployment, you know, re- reoccurring, you know, all the time, you know, versus some something at the end that's completely different than what we've been doing in the other environments. I also imagine it removes a lot of the friction, you know, and, and gets and gets things through QA, gets things through testing uh, a lot faster. Yeah, one of the things just in general is the visibility you get into the pipeline. Now you can expect we're going to continue to improve that that area of the product, but. There's some basic dashboarding and and traffic monitoring and things like that you'll do with the tool. I don't know if we probably talk a a bit about the um, what the tool kind of looks like today in terms of the architecture. But there's a client there that that you know you can actually get some visibility and and really how do you do that with with you know the build system if you're not using in release um, or some other tool you know you're you're using you know email chains and things like that to move things along. So it's it just providing transparency. Um, definitely improves kind of the collaboration and, you know, everybody's like looking at the same thing and, and it definitely helps with, uh, with kind of staying all under one, one tool. It's a visual tool too, isn't it? I mean, a, a non sort of technical person can manage a pipeline. That is correct. So it's, it's a visual tool. I mean, and at the end of the day, there's several things you're doing in the tool. One of them is to kind of build the pipeline. You're going to lay that out graphically. Uh, it's it's a basic like workflow kind of experience to design things. Of course, you're probably going to have developers involved in that, but mm. uh, definitely, you know, looking at what's going on. And again, it's got a web client that goes with it as well to manage approval processes, this kind of thing. But yeah, yeah, any type of like IT pro, um, power user, you know, non-developer can certainly work with the tool. Nothing, you know, a, a day's worth of work, and you really kind of have a pretty good mastery there of laying things out and, and mm. definitely kind of improve yourself overnight. What does it take to have software plug into the pipeline if I want to bring other stuff in rather than like the default set? So if you want to bring stuff in, so one of the things about the tool that's nice is is there's a concept of a tool inside of the tool, um, and it's extensible. So you can create your own your tools and actions, and at the end of the day, um, it's it's pretty limitless. If you can run, what happens is there's an agent that will eventually do the installation for you. And if you can run inside of a Windows process, you can bring your stuff in. Uh, now, you'll get a bunch of kind of recipes, if you will, like out of the box. Um, you know, things like, I want to, let's say I want to deploy a reporting services report. Right. That's already there, right? Um, DAC packs, things like that that are already there. But if you have something homegrown or something different that, that you don't see, you can definitely create it and plug it in, you know, fairly simply. Now that some of the, the product will be evolving on, on making things easier. There's actually an update coming already, uh, update two for TFS where we're doing things like tagging servers now. Uh, one example there is to make the experience better for users. You know, I want to deploy all this stuff to like 10 servers. It was a little manual. You got to, you know, kind of copy paste 10 times. We're doing things like adding tags now so I can deploy to anywhere there's this tag. So expect the user experience to get better, but just keep in mind that you can go to, you know, you can go down to Xcopy, you can go down to the command line. PowerShell's really where everything's pivoting on yeah. right now. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of limitless what you can do there. The PowerShell is the glue. It is, and we've been kind of public about, uh, the, yeah, I think that you, 
you want to invest in PowerShell in general, right? Like my grandma needs to know PowerShell at the end of the day. <laughs> <laughs> She's going to get her toast with PowerShell. But um, this tool for, for sure, um, you know, is, is revolving around PowerShell. Much of the stuff, much of the recipes there are, are just naturally work well with PowerShell. Is TFS just a requirement to do release management? Or if you're doing your source control and SVN or Mercurial, right. can I still make this work? Yeah, yeah. The interesting thing is uh, a couple things. I mentioned that it just kind of worked before, before we obviously before we purchased it. But um, the thing is, is when you look for a payload to deploy, you've got multiple options. You can it wants to integrate with like the build system, and it wants to say, okay, I'll look at your team projects and what builds you got, and will you glue me over there, and it'll find those builds. It'll do that nicely, but it will just look at a drop location. So anywhere there's a payload, and it doesn't really matter what the payload is, you'll define how that gets deployed. So you could just, however the payload came, right? It could have came from a complete third-party system, nothing to do with TFS, uh, and, and it doesn't care. So it is agnostic. It doesn't. It doesn't matter to the tool at the end of the day that you're using TFS. You can point to just some some share somewhere, right? And it'll, and it'll grab and deploy. And I guess that's an important part of the equation, too, because if we start talking about really complex deploys, if I've got a big app and say I've got a native iPhone client, you know, I still want that to be part of the deployment process, but clearly it's not going to be running through Studio. Right. Yeah. Yeah. At the end of the day, whatever it is, as long as it is, ends up somewhere that the, the release the release manager can look at, then it's going to be able to grab that and use it. So if you are if you are using TFS, now there is a nice story. We, we're trying to improve that story all the time with, with doing things like hosting Git repos and TFS and, and things yeah. like for, for cross-platform. But if you're coming from somewhere else, you know, whatever you create the payload, um, you know, in-release can look at it. But if you are using TFS, there's some nice integration that it, it promises to get nicer, but it, you know, it wants to integrate with TFS security, for example. So maybe you create like a release management security group and it'll bring that in. You know, I mentioned it wants to do the build system, which opens up a nice little demo that I, that I do, which is, um, you know, when you check in the TFS uh, version control and you can, of course, crank on that continuous integration to where it'll kick that build off, you can have the build system itself also initiate the deployments through the release manager. Right. So, you know, I can check in, for example, and then we go in a couple seconds, we look over at release manager, and there's a release getting kicked off, and that whole pipeline fires up, you know, via the build system. So kind of doing continuous delivery into these dev and test environment just by doing check-in. Yeah, but this, then I'm thinking, where does the test piece drop in there? Like, should I be doing a build, then I do a deploy to a test environment that I kick off a set of automated tests? Yeah, yeah. And, and so there's lots of scenarios there and you've got options. You know, one of the things that it will do, by the way, it'll integrate with uh, MTM as well or Microsoft Test Manager and it'll run, you know, automated tests for you. Uh, although certainly there's a, there's a, there's scenarios where you're using lab management and some other things that it's not integrating particularly well yet, but we're, we're, we're doing, but, you know, working on that to do that better. So, you know, you could, it's just going to depend on your scenario, uh, whether it makes sense or not, to, you know, to use and release for that piece of it. You mentioned, uh, Richard, you mentioned um, if you're going to an iOS device or something like that. Well, you know, Visual Studio can talk to iOS, can make uh, iOS uh, things with Xamarin now. So I imagine, you, can you can those Xamarin apps, you know, those iOS and Android apps be part of a, a release uh, that that is... Uh, well, the thing is, is what what does deployment mean for that? Because it, right. it, you know, currently it kind of, you know, there's there's fancy things you could do, but it, again, it wants to run like on the Windows process, the deployment agent. So now, deployment could just mean move something somewhere and have some other process pick it up as well. Sure. 
So, you know, it, it, it depends. And, you know, getting to where things are running cross-platform, I think we're still fleshing a lot of that part of the story out. Of course, the product in general, as I mentioned, uh, if anybody that's watching TFS knows we're, we're kind of working hard to um, to, to do things uh, cross-platform in general. And, th- and mm-hmm. I think Git is our big door opener there, hopefully. Yeah. Um, and uh, I'm sure you guys have talked about that on previous shows. But sure have, yeah. Git comes up every so often. And it must be a challenge. I mean, this is a, sort of a new thing, you know, this uh, this cross-platform integration that uh, that I'm, I imagine must uh, touch a lot of different places in the whole Visual Studio ecosystem. Yeah, yeah, and it, it, there's just lots of interesting scenarios that are happening. I mean, I I remember I was a little freaked out a few years ago, even when I saw like uh, what was it like jQuery come into Visual Studio? Right. <laughs> there's a, a time and place where it was pretty. Uh, it, we always just how do we put this politically correct? I mean, open source and Microsoft a while back was a different kind of thing than it is now. Sure. But uh, the way it's been embraced and the way things are going, there's just lots of cool scenarios. I mean, it seems to have started in the cloud. Uh, with Visual Studio Online, our Team Foundation service, you know, with the Git stuff, and we've got the nice tooling, you know, built into, uh, you know, Visual Studio directly. And Visual Studio doesn't care right now either in terms of Git. Like, mm. it could be in TFS or it could be at GitHub, right? right. Um, and some of the stuff decoupled pretty nicely and, and opening up some scenarios. Now, we've been doing some other stuff for a long time on the Java side with Team Explorer everywhere and things like yeah. that as well. So it, it's a big heterogeneous system. Is that Team Prize? You guys acquired that too. Yeah, we acquired that as well. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> uh, and it came with a Martin Woodward, which I think was the best part of that buy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. A Martin Woodward. <laughs> well, Martin Woodwards are rare and hard to find. They are. <laughs> he is. He is. He's a rock star. Yeah. Yeah, actually, that's oh, right. Man. In my we love you, Martin. Little, little town called Champaign, Illinois. Yeah. Well, yeah. Those whole, all those guys too. Yeah, yeah. Eric Sink and them. But Martin's in Belfast. We saw him on the tour. Yeah. yeah. He uh, he's an amazing, amazing guy, and really gets yeah, the challenges of building software like this. I think part of this is just sort of getting your head around today's app uh, as a package is many different pieces of software, the different phones, the different the back end bit. Like this can be a lot of stuff deployed in different locations. Yeah, yeah, and and definitely get into these complex deployment scenarios, which I would you know say that's when man the the value even gets out more when you can automate that and you can and you can make that repeatable because it, it, it's hard enough when I'm just when I'm just copying like bin directories and stuff into into folders and getting the right images in a website you know 10 years ago we right. still had problems with ops and dev and working together to make that happen and oh wait a minute we did we put that in the right place and there's you know there's all these different uh, problems when you start talking about today's apps and how distributed things are we got to make that automated and repeatable yeah, absolutely. I I would be remiss if I didn't hold up the database side of this equation too, because I think database guys feel left out of a lot of this. Yeah, yeah, and, and no matter what we've done to try to help with that, <laughs> there's a um, you know the SSDT story, right? It's it's uh, with Dacpack and 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 this kind of thing. It's it's right out of the box within release. So you've got a Dacpack tool built in. And I would encourage anybody that's doing database work has got to be, you know, they got to be treating the database code as as first class part of the application, and it should definitely be brought brought right in. Now, there's obviously lots of different challenges with deploying the database, and um, especially when I start moving data as part of the deployment as well, um, and then you know talking about well, what if something goes wrong and and roll back and you know, roll forward, and right. these kind of things. So, well, and it, and it, and I definitely want to talk about roll back, roll forward, but. 
the conversation I've been having with data people these days is just you have to give up ownership of your scripts, that your scripts are not what you're measured by anymore. Yeah, your Delta scripts. That, that Yeah, exactly. Get rid of right. them and move to something. You know, the, the, the best thing about SSDT is that I can look at, I can take that output and I can look at any database anywhere, even if there's subtle differences, and I can, you know, gen that stuff on the run. Right. And, and you know, dynamically uh, create the deployment scripts. It's a matter of trust, though, right? They want to... They want to see what that stuff's doing, and you can yep. do that. You can you can visualize those things before you execute those scripts. But so I think it's trusting the tool, and then you know I think it's, we've made a, we've made a long we've come a long way. Uh, there was a time when you know um, it, I think it was very infrequent to see some of the stuff being treated um, as first class in terms of uh, you know even using SSDT and back then was the database pro version of visual studio and that kind of thing. I see a lot of customers in the field actually, you know, kind of embracing that at this point. So feels good. I don't know how you guys feel about, uh, it seems like it's headed in the right direction and there's more and more of it at least. Well, and it ties into your point about roll forward, roll back. You know, when databases were new, I did the tests myself just to have that confidence of the moment I saw a transaction completed, I yanked the power cord out of a database server and then plug it back in and see, this is the right transaction really there. Like, do you believe it or not? Right. And I think the SQL Server data tools, SSDT, you have to do those same things. And for me, the biggest one was I add a column, I stick data in the column, and then I roll back. Yeah. What does it do? And yep. in, in my experience, it doesn't destroy the column. It just rips all of the constraints off of it and leaves it there. So the data is preserved. But the system functions like it's in the old version still. Yep. Yeah, and it gets us in the con- – there's a whole other conversation around this stuff, data motion and some of the, the stuff that it does behind the scenes. And and it's it's still, I'd say, it's still a work in progress, but, boy, it's come – it's light years from what it was. So, Michael, does in-release come with every version of Visual Studio, just with Ultimate? What? How do you get it? Yeah, so that's a great question. So you'll get – um, with MSDN licensing, and, and I'll go ahead and give the caveat that I'm I'm not your official licensing uh, yeah. <laughs> spokesman, but what happens is, yeah, with MSDN, um, you know, e- on even some of the down level subscriptions, you'll have access to to, to end release. But where the where the licensing really takes place is where you want to deploy to on the target side. So, um, you know, if you've got ten web servers, you've got various deployment agents that go on those web servers, for example. And that's where you'll pay your money. And if you if you read the official verbiage, um, you know it's going to be a different price based on volume discounting and and all, all this kind of thing. But so it's all MSDN stuff based, and, it, and we're really we're really licensing the deployment targets themselves. Uh, but yeah, if you got, I believe it's even uh, premium. You're still you're still using you know in release on the client itself, um, and, and you know I'll kind of deflect from there on the licensing stuff. But you can definitely it's it's documented online. Okay, very good. But, Cloud versus on-prem versus devices, like there's going to be a licensing around each of those? Yeah, so wherever you want to deploy to on those agents, now you're going to get something. There's two types. That there's like a standard um, licensing, and then there's a data center licensing. I, I believe Ultima's going to come with one standard for you to use. Right. So you find an organization. I was just working with one the other day where they had like lots of Ultimates, and these guys had more. They end up having more agents you know, than they needed, so to speak, for, for the targets they were going after. I guess the real question is if I don't have Ultimate, what have I got for licensing? Right. So, so if you don't have ultimate, so anybody that's got, um, that's basically got ultimate premium test pro can work with the release management client. You can create, update, delete pipelines. 
You okay. can work with the client itself. So not just Ultimate, but Premium as well, and the Test Pro edition. And Test Pro, that's, that's correct. excellent. Mm. Now, you, you need a, like if I'm going to trigger the pipeline, there's things where I need a Team Foundation Server Cal, and if I'm already right. on the team, I already got that kind of thing. Um, and then, but I don't need a cow if I'm to just approve stages or sign off. So it's kind of a complicated uh, story there a little bit. Um, so I'm going to encourage folks to read the release management licensing, which is on the Visual Studio website. But if you do have Ultimate, I do want to make mention that everybody that has Ultimate, you get a complimentary deployment license, which is, again, your, your licensing where you're going to deploy to. Hmm. And there's verbiage and, and pricing information out on visualstudio.com around this. Uh, and of course, if you've got, um, uh, you know, you've got volume discounts and all that kind of stuff is going to come into play as well here. But, uh, you know, ultimately gives you some extra benefits like that free, that free deployment agent. And again, if you've got like 300 deployment agents or the places you're deploying to, that's going to cost you more than if you got three. So that's really where a lot of the licensing is. But yeah, it, it, Richard, back to your point, uh, ultimate premium or test pro, and I'm going to be able to work with the, cl- the release management client. Right. But on the deployment side, you are going to play for different deployment pieces. And I'll include a link to the, to the release management licensing. But it's good to know, you know, if you're not a guy with Ultimate, you should still be looking at this. There are options for you. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. You know what time it is? Uh, must be that happy time again. You got it. It's time to read a joke that was generated by a tool. Should I read it again? <laughs> no, it's. I met that tool. It's time to give away a Telerik DevCraft Complete Collection to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But before I tell you who won today, let's talk about the Telerik platform. It's the only modular platform that combines a rich set of UI tools with powerful cloud services to develop web, hybrid, and native apps. You can develop in the browser, on your desktop, or using Visual Studio using a variety of language technologies, .NET, Java, HTML5, JavaScript, and PHP. Check it out at Telerik.com slash platform. And don't forget to thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. All right, buddy, who's our winner? Today's winner is Alexander Cahoon from Gilbert, Arizona. Congratulations, Alexander. Yeah, he just won a Telerik DevCraft Complete Collection, just about everything they do in one box, a $2,000 value. If you don't know what we're talking about here, uh, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world, and we give away stuff in every show. And every December, we give away $5,000 worth of technology to one lucky member of the fan club. And we like to ask our guests, and Michael, you're it. If you had $5,000 to spend on technology today, what would you buy? Wow. So if I had 5000 what would I buy today? Now, I'm kind of a classic geek, so I'd probably be adding servers and hardware just um, in, in the, uh, the office here. Mm-hmm. But I'm also... Um, Getting kind of into, uh, I'm, I'm into projectors and stuff. So if you told me I had to go spend it right now, I'd probably buy a new projector because I'm a little overdue. Do you know that there's a projector out there? And I don't know who makes it, maybe Samsung. But it, you can put it about a meter away from the screen and it projects a 10-foot image. Wow. Nice. Have you seen this, Richard? I've... Yeah, there's a, there's a, they're called short-throw projectors. Right. Right. And yeah, they, there's some pretty frighteningly good ones. Uh, uh, at CES this past year in January, Sony showed off a, I think it was a 4K one, like, which is crazy all by itself. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it was like a foot or three feet back from the screen and it shot a 10 foot picture upward. Insane. Yeah. Um, priced accordingly. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, if you have to ask. Yeah. So, yeah, but 40 grand. Oh, really? I've seen them cheaper than that. Well, for a 4K, right? Oh, for I mean, 4K, sure. Yeah, but I've 4Ks. seen, a, a, you know, an, an HD one for a couple of grand. Yeah, a couple of grand you can get a short throw. Yeah. Pretty cool. Yeah. Good stuff. Well, there you go, Michael. There's one way to spend you your money. You can put that in your house. Yeah, yeah, that'd be nice. I need a bigger a bigger screen than that, though. So, you know, but that is always the problem. Bigger right? screen like, than I, 10 feet? I do, yeah. So I've got one right now. It's about 25 feet wide. What? Holy man. <laughs> Gotta have it. Watching How far James back do you have to night. sit from a 25-foot screen? <laughs> <laughs> You've got to be back far, pretty far for that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, a, there's, a, there's a line in Toy Boy, which is the song I wrote that we, uh, we, my brother and I wrote. It. It's the theme song for .NET Rocks, and it's kind of a joke song. But it's there's a line that says ten foot high uh ten what is it? Ten foot high screen, twenty feet wide. Strap it in tight because it's a long sweet ride. It's kind of a joke, actually. <laughs> it, it exists. I'll send you guys a picture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You you playing Titanfall on that? Yeah, my son plays a little connect on it. That's pretty funny. When that first came out, watching him do like the roller coaster thing and yeah, seeing how small he was next that to the screen. Awesome. But yeah. That is awesome. Actually, very, very cool. All right, let's jump back into this, because we, we hit on a little bit in the first half here about this whole rollback, roll-forward thing. Because I, I think right. a big piece, not just for data, but for anybody, is can we make rollbacks pretty painless? Yeah, yeah. And that's interesting with the tool itself, because one of the things you'll do is you'll define your workflow, you know, what deployment looks like for you. And you'll notice that a couple of the actions that are already there for you are rollback and rollback always. And you're responsible for creating your own rollback, you know, strategy, if you will. So that could be as simple as let's just go back to the bits that were just there. Right. Um, or it could be more complex. And, of course, with a stateful thing like a database uh, system, that, that gets a little different. Now, you know, you're, we're talking about roll forward. That That's an interesting concept where it comes down to really how often you're deploying. I mean, I, I can't be – and how much I can stomach to be down. I mean, rollback can literally get us back online, you know, hopefully just in, in a matter of seconds or minutes. Right. Um, roll forward implies maybe that I've, I'm going to get the – I'm going to give you the new build, and, and it's yeah. going to have those fixes, right? Um, now, if I'm – now we're giving new builds in a matter of, of seconds and minutes now in days uh, versus – months and months, which, you know, ops guys used to get, you know, stressed out. One of the big things with ops guys uh, in the past were, you know, you worried to death you weren't going to get a new build with the bug fixes forever. So, you know, uh, now roll forward is becoming more and more a possibility. I'm just going to give you the new thing. Don't worry about going back, you know. And this is not so much technology as it is a cadence. If you can actually give me several builds a day, then roll forward is an option. Right on. And then there's always a case of a severity. Like, you know, if it, is the website down or the server right. down, or is it just that, yeah, there's some, there's something going on a little goofy, but we can, we can handle it until the next build, which it's going to be here by lunch anyway. Yeah. And, and also when you get into granular deployment across distributed web servers, where I can actually light an instance up on one server, stick a few users to it. And if there's a problem there, throttle that server out. Right. And leave it basically unusable until the roll forward comes along. Yeah, yeah, and we're seeing more and more of those kind of strategies. And and there's a whole other conversation that would open up here around feature flags and feature toggles, and and you know, getting you the maybe it was something that was broke, and I just need to turn that off. That yeah. may be just a config change I need to make, and just roll you forward as well into that. Yeah, the, the 
the culture piece I've been I've been calling that uh, integrate first. Yeah. Development where we're we're actually taking features before we show them to the customer. We're integrating them into the system and we're making them part of a test strategy, so that we know they have problems before the customer ever even sees them. Yeah, yeah. We've been we've been public about like even with Visual Studio Online, we're we're leveraging that kind of stuff. So, and and you know, there's also you know Facebook, some other places that are that are doing that have been public about what they do. But obviously, there's features that are out there, you know, in the code base that yeah, that are not visible yet. And and there's some lots of benefits to uh, to doing that. And it, it goes all the way back down into the dev streams where maybe I need less branching and all kinds of other stuff um, because of that. And it's just it makes integration a lot less a lot less painful. So I like your name there. Yeah, well, just get nailing the integration because it's the stuff you fear, right? It's that's what I scares me is a group of devs wander off on a branch for a month mm-hmm. and come back, and now we're in this crazy integration hell because a whole bunch of stuff, whole bunch of assumptions they had when they branched a month ago have changed because developments continue to go forward. Yeah, right on. There's a lot of waste there and just kind of fighting conflicts and doing right. things that bring no value. Um, and then if it does get in stability you know i'd rather had that in uh, very early and, and dealt with that stuff fail fast <laughs> that kind of thing yeah and start to get into some of those the, principles so and the biggest piece for me as an ops guy is i'm okay with the fact that this new feature exerts new load on the system i just need to know how much more gear we need yep and your estimates are wrong <laughs> so the fact that we could actually fly the feature in the system silently where nobody can see it and I need a knob to turn it off if it's badly behaved or if it, the cost is just too high and we can start getting benchmarks for what its overhead is so we can provision the additional gear before you roll it out. Yeah. Because as an ops guy, the fact that you put a new feature out and it takes the system down, like that's the stuff of nightmares. Right. And and that's the classic stuff. And it's it's the stuff that, you know, works on my machine as a developer. And then I hand it to you and I really don't care. <laughs> You're, yeah, you I'm done. So, I mean, guy. actually being able to, as an ops person, feed back to development. This is what's expensive about your new feature. Like this is we can we anyway we can alleviate some of this disk IO or you you know you're making a lot of connections to other services. Like can we can we thin that out a bit so that you can tweak and tune it before the user's ever seen it. Yeah, and you know that some things it's it, it I think the way of the world has to be this way when uh, large scale because how else can you test some of the stuff anyway? So we need Yeah, well, it, I I've had, I've used that line in a talk I've done where it says, "How do you think Netflix load tests?" Right. That you can't, you know, right? so. They're 25% of the internet on a Friday afternoon. So what are you supposed to do? <laughs> yep. I'm going to give it to my part of my user base, see how they like it. And I'm going to have a real nice ability to, to crank that off if it's not working well. Yeah. And yeah. not everybody's Netflix. I mean, only one person is Netflix. Yeah. But the I, this mentality just gives us so much power. I just, you know... Part of this is culture, and part of this is process, but then part of it's also tools. So I'm just trying to figure out, are we there yet tooling-wise? Are we fighting against the stream? I, I tried to do continuous integration with Studio 2005, and let me tell you, that was a lot of duct tape and bailing wire. Yeah, and I think we're still. I don't think we're all the way there yet. Like for what we will, where we will be, and I, I think even feature flags are the example. I think you see different implementations of that. 
so the you know the kind of the quote unquote best practice or, or, or tooling I don't think is completely emerged like it like it will be. Uh, I think we look back you know two three years from now we'll be saying that uh, you know these were these were some moderate times compared to what we're going to see. So that's the debate for me is a, at what point do we stop calling this DevOps or continuous integration or any of these fancy words we just call it software development. Yeah, I saw an interesting. So the, I don't know if you guys are familiar, but DevOps.com uh, just recently launched. And saw that. Yeah, they got a nice visual out there of like an evolution, and it, it it's got like a waterfall, you know, and it's got it's got like the monkey on the ground, and then all the way up to a, you know, the streamlined, uh, you know, you know, continuous operations <laughs> guy, and everything in between. So there's a nice little graphic there, and it goes into agile and and lean, and and kind of the, the evolution. But it's interesting this DevOps word in general. I was at a talk, and and the guy you know was insisting you know this is nothing, none of this stuff is new, really, right? We're just trying to we're trying to communicate communicate better and break down silos. But I remember, you guys ever heard the word SDLC anymore? I mean, there was a time when ALM wasn't even being used as right. a word. Hmm. And it, 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 it's interesting how these, uh, these these terms catch on. And they really, they kind of help drive movement and stuff, though. So, uh, yeah, DevOps.com is another good resource link we probably want to throw on the show notes. For sure, yeah. And it, But it is this idea of, it's all well and fine when, you're you're Netflix when you're the biggest and the baddest and you can sp- experiment with these things you got lots of budget but when is it mainstream when does it cross that chasm so that regular developers can do it yeah and that's really what I'm experiencing now so cuz I work so I work with uh mainly non ISVs and non so I work imagine customers are some of our big customers imagine insurance companies soda factories you know <laughs> really everybody in the world a Microsoft customer at some level but not necessarily is their core competency building software but but I think on one of your previous shows with David, as he mentioned, you better be able to build software uh, no matter what business you're in today because um, that is your differentiator in the world. So these guys need to they need to embrace these same movements, and they need help with the tooling. They definitely need help with the culture. And many of these organizations, culture is not driven up, you know, from the software folks, right? The, the culture was driven by the business folks. Right. So, that's it, it, it. But in the world of you've got to be agile and you, your software is your competitive advantage, um, you know, that culture has to change in some respects. And that, there's a lot of fighting going on there. I think the big culture piece that comes from management is that we can fail in a way that it, like any that it, if every mistake is punished, if every wobble is punished, then everybody's super careful. Yep. You know, if we could actually have some tolerance to failure so that we can afford to experiment, that the, in every move you make isn't a career-limiting uh, event. Right. It's more about, I allow you to fail. Well, let's mitigate the harm. How quickly can we – don't cover up the failure. Just recover from it quickly. Yeah, because you can you can eliminate most all risk, but then you, nev- then you may be out of business, right? Yeah. You right. can't innovate. Innovate means risk. Right. I mean, it, it reminds me of security in a way. I mean, you can be the most secure thing in the world, but if you start, so- if you can't sell your product. Yeah. As long as we have no customers, we will be very secure. <laughs> <laughs> we do not have internet access. We are secure here. Very secure. Right. <laughs> I don't know. All you do is you just brick over the door. Then we're fine. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it wasn't that long ago. I remember being at customer sites where they didn't allow their developers to surf the web. Yep. And I would walk into the customer, the, you know, a different customer the next week, and, and they had full access. And I can tell you, that was a big competitive disadvantage if you can't search the web as a developer uh, and the way things are moving. 
<laughs> it was because of, you know, policy and security and, and whatever reasons. And, and the other thing I think with a lot of this stuff that I saw a great analogy the other day, um, I can't articulate it too well, but it was where, um, you know, basically business culture where you do things just because you've done it that way before. And, you know, there was, there was, there was monkeys basically pulling each other off of a pole that were trying after a banana and nobody knew why they're doing it. You know, right, the, right. the original monkey that, that, that was trained to do that, he was, he was long dead. Well, you know, you've got to be able to, um, you know, hopefully you're not doing things like that, you know, not like locking down your development and your operation so far just because somebody made that policy 20 years ago. And I think the, the whole movement to this continuous delivery um, is really, it's basically you're either going to go w- with the movement and, and do it or you're going to be at risk in, in your business. Yeah, and I think we've we've always been threatened with, you know, software's going to go away or you, you're going to fail. It just feels like today... Uh, software is just not optional. Businesses don't operate any other way. We've we've kind of moved into the critical path in a way we've never been before. It's not just a competitive advantage. It's the basic cost of doing business, like functioning without a telephone. I remember when, like, I think it was one of my friends. Uh, he told me, you know, at some point, um, you know, you know, when you know when pizza places are, are relying on <laughs> the software as their competitive advantage, you know that the yeah. world's gone crazy and mad. But if you think about it. Uh, Domino's Pizza's got a very nice experience <laughs> online. Can you use their app? Yeah, I mean, I know who's cooking my pizza, when it's coming, you know. Yeah. The, problem, so the only problem with the app is it's Domino's Pizza. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, no comment. That's 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 a separate issue, but you 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 hit on the real piece there, which is and more and more like the the restaurants I call for delivery, my the Chinese place that I like. They know my order already. They see my caller ID comes in. Their software pulls up the last order. I'm just like, hey, do that again. Okay, on its way. So here's the question, Richard. Would you order from them again, even though you didn't like the food as much because the experience is better? I'm with you. The the food has to be good first. But then when it's, okay, given three good places for pizza... The one with the lowest friction order is the one that's going to win. But even, but I guess if if one has better food, would you order from that one first, even if it was a little bit more pain of a pain? Yeah, I, I think I still prefer the best product I can get. Yeah, that's good. But, I'm glad you know to hear the, that. the the line gets close after a while. There's not a lot of difference between those products. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad to hear that. I hope I hope we don't sell out. Well, we yeah, get it. I mean, the best your coupons, you can, though, the other thing is, though, I mean, you've got to be using technology because even if it's not the order experience we're talking about, just like you mentioned, they, they know who you are, they're going to market to you. And if the guy yeah. next to you that's making pizzas doesn't do the same kind of data mining and all that, I mean, you've got to be using technology at the end well, of the day. Well, let's not fall, and, and software people are particularly notorious for falling into this trap. You can't just make a better mousetrap and presume people will, will come. Yeah. Right? You have, they have to know about it. There has to be some way to reach you. Can I just give you a, a guys a, a really I don't know it's just it's just the American experience and maybe this is happening all over the world I don't know but this is a typical American experience I was uh, going to meet a client and I, I stopped in at a gas station to get some gum because I had just had a curry you know and I didn't want to offend with my breath and you know it was a buck ninety so I pull out two one dollar bills slap them down on the table. And walk out. And the, and the guy says, do you have a rewards card? <laughs> For gum. Do you have a rewards card? What? <laughs> <laughs> Just for that, I'm going to s- turn around and demand you give me my dime back. 
Oh my god! I was gonna say keep the change. <laughs> yeah, those rewards cards. I mean, and I'm I'm I've got them filling up my wallet, and <laughs> they're just everywhere. Yeah, that's a really moment. Yeah, exactly. But I also am not convinced that they're using. You know, there's one thing about some of this infrastructure when it becomes so mainstream that people it's dogma. They have it. They're just not using it for anything. I you know I just remember when we used to pick on Radio Shack, they were the only ones that were doing anything like that. But you go in to buy batteries, and they'd say, "And can I have your social security number, please?" You know, they wouldn't say that, but they'd ask for your phone number, and they'd be like, "I'm buying batteries, man. Leave me alone." No, I don't want to be on your mailing list. No, I don't want to take your survey. Give me my bleeping batteries and leave me alone. And now everywhere. And I just want that that system to get simple. You know, the system's fine, but I don't. I'm not going to carry around a hundred different rewards cards, man. Yeah, that's insane. Yeah, luckily a few of it, like so, like Best Buy and some other. You know, you're going to get your phone number tied to the thing, but then and then you know, at least you're not having to uh, to swipe it every time. But yeah, yeah you know, the important part of this, and I think it's part of us building systems, is Best Buy actually keeps track of your warranty information for you. Like, it's the problem with most rewards cards is the only person it rewards is the company, not the customer. <laughs> yeah. Let's make sure we're actually taking care of the customer with this stuff. And the fact that I, you know, went back into a Best Buy with a broken item I got from them, and I didn't have my receipt, but they used my phone and pulled up, said, this is when you bought it. These are the warranties available. What do you want to do? That's a real service. I just wish they'd process rebates like that everywhere. Yeah, well, that's, you know, now we get back to the truth of rebates and coupons, which is they're supposed to incent you to buy. You're not supposed to use them. Yeah. <laughs> you used it? Well, we can't make that convenient. That's just crazy talk. Oh, no. Didn't you just read the fine print? That expires after five minutes. Yeah. Absolutely. Gift cards the same way. They know a certain amount of gift cards every year is not going to be redeemed. That's a, that's a racket. And they're counting on them. Like, that, that that's budget. That they, that you're not going to use that. <laughs> oh, we sound, we sound built old. Built into the price. We sound old and cranky. Yeah. But we, the, the real thing here is when you get into a place where you're deliberately obfuscating a process because you don't want people to use it, then that's, I think, a real issue. Mm -hmm. When so much of the stuff is frictionless now, and it's expected to be frictionless. Yeah. All right, you're right. We're starting to look cranky. Let's wrap up on a high note, Michael. Got any good news? <laughs> Keep an eye on the space. I think you're going to see a lot of uh, a lot of uh, more stuff coming with the, with the in release product as we. Uh, yeah, we it feels to me like you haven't had a chance to really take advantage of in release yet. Well, right, yeah. So, so I think I think that you know the the future releases are where you're going to see uh, more and more innovation happening. Yeah. So we, I mean, we've got it under our belt. We've got we got the key people with us. You know, everything that's public that you go out there and read. But, um, yeah, I would agree. I think we're, you, the, the bottom line is it, it's a great product right now. It can, it can help you overnight, though. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't wait to install, if yeah. that makes sense. But, yeah, I think we're gonna, you'll see more and more uh, greatness coming. So it's worth getting up to speed now because it's only going to get better. Absolutely. And the bottom line is beyond the tool, it's, it's the process, right, that's important. We've got yeah. we to get doing continuous delivery. Well, and I think yeah. that's a key part of it, is you have a tool that will help influence your process and ultimately your culture. Right on. Definitely. And that's the show, guys. Okay, cool. Thanks, Michael. Yeah, thanks, guys. You guys have a great week. You too. Thanks for talking to us. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks.
Net Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a, a